This is Foothill Family Church with Mike Webb. Building strong, spirit-filled lives through God's Word. Prayer is praying, and prayer is relying on the Holy Ghost to give you the words to speak. And if you don't have them to speak, you speak in other tongues. What a great blessing speaking with other tongues is. What, a, what a, a work the devil has done on the church in this world by denigrating speaking with tongues, ridiculing speaking with tongues. Because for so much of the church world, maybe the majority of the church world, they forfeit power in prayer because they're afraid of what people might think of them. The riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. The riches... Think about those words. We say them fast and they kind of run together. But think about what he's saying. The riches, God's rich. The riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. Not even to the saints, in the saints. You've got an inheritance that's resident in you now. And that inheritance is rich in glory. Now, when I think about rich in glory, I think about Jesus. I think about the things Jesus did. I think about the, the fact that, that Jesus was the, the, the shining example of God here on the earth, the light of the world. Everything about Jesus drew people to him. What was that? Same spirit of God that you got. He had the same life of God that's been given to you. I think Jesus walked in it to a greater degree than we do. I think he was aware of it. He was conscious of it more than we do. Now, the Bible, don't get me wrong. The Bible doesn't say he had one thing more than you have. In fact, it says you have exactly what he has, had and has. Well, then why does it have a bigger impact in him? Why did, it have a, why did he have a bigger impact and influence on people around him than we seem to? I think he relied on it more. Maybe he had a greater revelation of what he had. Let me ask you something. Is there anything, any problem that you face, any situation that we encounter, is there anything that you and I will come upon in this life that Jesus has not already done the work to provide an inheritance for us to overcome? The answer has to be no. If it's anything other than no, then Jesus didn't do a complete work. If Jesus didn't do everything necessary to, to enable you and me to overcome in life, no matter what the situation or what the experience that we encounter, then what's he doing sitting down at the right hand of the Father? The work of redemption is not complete. The Bible says he's made us more than conquerors. Over what? Over everything. The Bible says this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. What victory? Well, victory over everything. Victory over anything and everything the devil can do. Now, that doesn't mean we get instant results. There's a standing in faith. There's a process that takes place in many cases. But it doesn't change the truth that we have victory over whatever, anything and everything the devil can do. And it's all on the inside of you. One thing that I've noticed over the years is that uh, um, when people really start maturing and growing in the things of God, they quit looking for God to do things from the outside. They realize that the answer is within. The wisdom they need from God comes from within. 
The source of strength that they need from God comes from within. The healing power of God comes from within. Not the outside. Quit looking to the outside. Quit looking to external things to be your answer. Your answer always comes from within. Your answer is always coming from the source of the life of God that dwells within you. That's where the riches of the glory of your inheritance lie. From within. You mean, Pastor Mike, I've already got everything that I'll ever need on the inside of me? Yeah. Well, why don't I know that? Because we don't have the revelation of it yet. We have the knowledge of it. The Bible gives us the knowledge of it. But can you see how we need wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of who he is and what he's done? Second thing he prays is that we would be enlightened. The knowledge of God and the knowledge of the work that Jesus has accomplished would explode upon our minds to cause us to realize the riches of the glory of his inheritance in in us now, in the saints. The third thing that he prays for is power. But not power from the outside. So many of the church world are praying, oh, God, give us power. God, give us power. That's not what Paul's praying. Paul is impressed by the Holy Ghost to pray that we'd have a revelation of the power that we already have. Now, folks, I want you to understand, Paul doesn't pray that God gives us any one thing except revelation of what we already have. He's not praying that God God would provide one thing more to us than they already have. He's not praying, I pray that God would strengthen you in some mighty way so that you'd have something extra. He's simply praying that their eyes would be open, their minds literally would be open to the revelation of what already belongs to us and resides in us. Quit looking to the outside. The answer is within. The third thing he prays is that we would, uh, our eyes would be enlightened to know the, the hope of his calling, number one, the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, number two, and number three in verse 19, what is the exceeding greatness of his power to us who believe? The exceeding greatness of his power to us who believe. In all the New Testament, Paul's the only one that uses the word exceeding. It's a Greek word that means hyper or super. Now notice he's talking about the power when he talks about superpower. Literally. He's saying, and what is the exceeding, the super greatness of his power that works in us as believers? According to the working of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places. Verse 19 is very uh, unusual. Uh, It's grammatically difficult in the Greek language because there are, in the New Testament, there are five words that are translated into the English power. Five different words. Paul uses four of them in verse 19. The first word that he uses is the word translated power. What is the exceeding greatness of his power? This is the word dunamis. It means stored ability. The second word that he uses is working. It's the word energia. It's an outward display of power. For example, if somebody came into the room that was a big bodybuilder type, all muscled up and everything, we might look at him and say, wow, there's, that guy's got great power. Well, what we mean is his muscles are big enough to store power. But until he lifts something or works, does something with his muscles, we can't see that power in action. Dunamis is the stored power. Energia is the, the active power. It's power in action. The third word that he uses is mighty This word mighty is the word kratos. It's where we get our English word democratic. It means ruling power. And then the fourth word, translated power, is the last word in the verse, 
It's iskus. And it means endowed power. It means the power that someone would have when they took over the kingdom of the, of the, of the throne of a kingdom. It was set in place as a ruler or a king. So literally what he's saying is that he's praying that their eyes would be enlightened to know what is the exceeding greatness of God's inherent power that works according to his ruling place as king of the universe. Then he tells us how, what that power is like, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him in his own right hand in the heavenly places. Folks, you need to understand something. If the death of Jesus was the supreme expression and demonstration of God's love for mankind, then the resurrection was the supreme expression and demonstration of his power in action. And Paul is saying, inspired by the Holy Ghost, Paul is saying that when Jesus was raised from the dead, God used every bit of his power to set him free from spiritual death. The Bible says Jesus was first, the first begotten from the dead. That can't be the grave because there are people that were raised from the grave before he was. So when it says the first begotten or firstborn from the dead, and it also says firstborn of many brethren, it's got to be talked about firstborn of spiritual death. He was the first person born again. Jesus was born again. Now, if he, had, if he didn't die spiritually, he had no need to be born again. Now, I know that's controversial for a lot of folks. And I know some people get upset when I say this. And they think I talk too much about it. But folks, the reason that I do talk about it is because every time that I focus on the fact that Jesus died spiritually as my substitute, it makes me appreciate him more and more. Join Mike Webb and Foothill Family Church every Sunday night at 6 p.m. for our weekly healing school. Healing school is for those who are in need of being healed from sickness in their body as well as those who want to strengthen their faith in the area of healing. Now, whatever somebody, you or me or somebody else might think of why Jesus healed the sick, Matthew eight seventeen tells us why he healed everybody that was sick. Jesus healed all that were sick that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying himself took our infirmities and bare our sicknesses. Foothill Family Church is in Orange County at the corner of Bake Parkway and Lake Forest Drive just minutes off the 5 freeway. To learn more about how you and your family can connect with Foothill Family Church, simply log on to mikeweb.tv. Foothill Family Church, building strong, spirit-filled lives through God's Word. I've noticed that the people that refuse to acknowledge that Jesus, even the possibility that Jesus died spiritually and went to the belly of the earth, literally the hell of hells, the lower part of hell where the spiritually dead were. People that refuse to acknowledge even the possibility of that, their concept of God is very, very small. It's all this, uh, well, maybe I should say it this way. It's impersonal. It's this God on the throne that's somehow pulling strings and moving people around like pieces on a chessboard. But they have no knowledge of who he is. They have no knowledge of his will. They have no knowledge of his goodness and his kindness. It's all this, well, we hope all things work together for our good. Somehow, some way. But you never know what God's going to do. I don't believe that's what God wants us to know about him. I don't believe that's the way he wants us to see him. Do you? I believe he wants us to know specifically 
as much as we're able to comprehend exactly what Jesus did for us so that we not have to experience it for ourselves. So when Jesus was first born, the, the first born from the spiritually dead, from spiritual death, God used all of his power. You know, it's an interesting thing because the Bible tells us different things about creation. Psalm 8.3 says that when God created the stars in the universe, he used his fingers, literally flicked the stars into the sky. Hebrews 1.10 says that when God made the earth, he formed it with his hands. Well, that makes sense. There are rocks out there in the universe that are just reflecting light from suns and solar systems billions and billions of miles away. No need for God to be specific or take care about those. But when it came to the earth, he was making a home for his greatest creation, which is man. So he used his hands. But in Isaiah 53, verse 1, it says, To who has believed our report? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? When it comes to redemption, when it comes to the plan of salvation being accomplished through the work of Jesus, it says God used his arm. Now, what do you have more strength in, your fingers, your hand, or your arm? That's what Paul is saying. He's saying this was the display The greatest display of God's power is when he raised Jesus from the dead. Why? Because he wanted you to have an inheritance. He wanted you to have the hope of the the fulfillment, the completion of the plan of redemption, not just spiritual redemption, not just to renew our minds to the truth, but so that the, the residue, the remnant of sin and our experience with sin could once and for all be wiped away by our redeemed bodies. And that we'd know that the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is available to be used by you. Now, folks, I'm going to say it again. There's a huge difference, huge difference between having the knowledge that the power of the name of Jesus is ours and the revelation that it's in us and available to us now. And that's what Paul's praying. That we know the hope of his calling, the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and the exceeding greatness of his power, 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 which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead. And didn't just raise him from the dead, but his resurrection was twofold. Born again and seated in heavenly places, just like yours. Set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places. Where is that place? Far above. Everybody say far above. How far above is far above? He didn't say a little bit above. Now the the things he's going to mention are things that we recognize as under the devil's control and influence. Far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named not only in this world but also in that which is to come. He's saying that God has raised Jesus to be seated at his right hand and given him a name that's far above anything that the devil can do, has ever done, or could ever imagine to be able to do. Far above. Far above. You know, there are comparisons that Paul uses throughout his uh, uh, letters to the church, the writings that uh, that we have record of to the church. And over and over again, it talks about much more, and he makes different, uh, uses different words to, to make those comparisons. In every case, including this one, far above, in every case, he uses Greek words that mean 
I'm trying to make a comparison so that you'll get the point, but it's so far above that it shouldn't even be compared together. That's what his comparisons are really about. He's not saying, well, you got this on one hand and this on the other hand. You know, that's the way the people think that, that the devil works and fought against God. There was a great war in heaven and a third of the angels went with the devil and boy, he struggled and he fought and God barely won out and that was only because he had two-thirds of the angels, I guess. He outnumbered him. But there's no bigger lie possible. The devil used every bit of his power to try to overthrow the kingdom of God and God said, get out. Jesus talked about the devil falling to the earth. He said, I beheld Satan fall as lightning. Well, you know how that works. Slow and easy and gradual. God cast Satan out with a loud bang. And that wasn't even the greatest display of his power. The greatest display of his power was in the resurrection of Jesus. Seated him in his right hand and gave him a name that is far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that's named not only in this world but also in that which is to come. Folks, if that power is really yours, if this verse is true, if that power is really yours, what kind of problems should we be having with the devil? You can always tell where somebody is by listening to them talk about what trouble they have with the devil. And oh boy, that's a major thing for the church, isn't it? What does that mean? It means they don't have a revelation of the power that's in them. Remember, this power works in us as believers. This power and this name that's above, far above all principality and power and might and every name that can be named, not only in this world, but in that which is to come. Realize anything that's got a name is under the name of Jesus. Anything that has a name is subject to the, uh, to the power of the name of Jesus. If you can name it, then it's under the power of Jesus. Well, is there anything that doesn't have a name? Even if you have to make up a name for it, it's got a name. Paul is taking a big picture view and he's saying, Jesus is seated at the right hand of God above all the universe. And not just this universe, not just what we see and know here. And, and remember when Paul is writing this, I don't know what his scientific background is. I don't know how much he knew about the universe. He knew about Greek mythology and the stars and all that kind of stuff that, that, that's part of all that, that ideology or whatever, philosophy, whatever you want to call it. But I don't know what he knew about the universe. Did he know more about the universe than we do? Did he know less about the universe than we do? I don't know. But he knows enough by the Holy Ghost that the name of Jesus is far above anything and everything that can be named in, not only in this universe but also in the ages to come. What does that mean? I have no idea. But I know in chapter 2 it says that God's gonna, it's going to take God ages to show us just how good and kind he is toward us. Verse 22, and hath put all things under his feet. And hath put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. I'm going to rearrange this for, for greater understanding. Gave him a name far above all principality and power and might and dominion and so forth. And gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all, and has put all things under his feet. Folks, I want you to understand 
His feet is in the body. Jesus is referred to as the head. That's the picture that Paul gives us by the Holy Ghost. And Paul is the only New Testament writer that uses the church as the body of Christ. He's the only one that uses the example of the head and the body. I wonder if that has anything to do with him meeting Jesus on the road to Damascus in Acts 9. Remember what Jesus said to him? Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? I doubt very seriously if, if, if Saul, who became Paul, had any idea he was persecuting Jesus. He thought he was persecuting these Christians that were denouncing Judaism. But Jesus shows him, you hurt my people, you're hurting me. Jesus told him right off the bat. Now, whether he realized this to begin with or not, or it was something over the years that God revealed to him, that's more in line with my thinking, that he saw it over time. But who knows? But he realized that Jesus and his people on the earth, his church, are one. And that's what he's telling us here by the Holy Ghost. Gave him through the head over all things to the church, which is his body. To the church, which is his body. What good is that? That means that the all things that Jesus is above, the principalities and the power and the might and the dominion that Jesus is above, Far above. Means the church is far above it too. How far? Far above. How far is that? Far enough not to have any trouble with them. Doesn't mean we won't be uh, attacked. Doesn't mean there won't be things that the devil throws in our way. Doesn't mean that there won't be things we don't have to believe for. But there's nothing the devil can do that can outstrip or outweigh or outlast the power that's in the name of Jesus. Now stop and think about it for a minute, folks. If the church really believed this and understood this and believed it, if the church had a revelation of who we are in Christ Jesus, how would our world be different? If the church had an understanding, a revelation, that they had the same power to overcome the work of the devil that Jesus did while he was here on the earth. And even really, it's even greater than that. But we'll just use that for a, for a point of reference. If we had the same power to overcome the work of the devil as Jesus had and used when he was here on the earth, how would our world be different? How would your world be different? Jesus didn't have enough to eat, didn't have enough to feed the crowd, so he multiplied loaves and fishes. They ran out of wine, so he turned water into wine. He was without transportation, sent the disciples ahead in the boat, so he walked on the water. All of those are a part of the inherent power that works in us as believers. Now, I don't believe Jesus came to the water's edge and said, Okay, Father, you know I'm supposed to be on the other side tomorrow. Let's see. What am I going to do here? And then reasoned it out. Wait a minute. I'm the son of God. That means even though I laid aside my heavenly power and glory to come to the earth, I've been anointed of the Holy Ghost and all things are possible to him that believes. So let's see. I believe I can walk on it. Okay. 
feel too solid. I think that's what we do. We come to a problem and we try to figure it out. We try to assume or, or try to, to identify with what does the Bible say that will help me in this situation instead of really having a revelation of who we are. In many cases, I think we use faith like a spare tire. We wait till our tire goes flat and then we try to find a fix for it. Faith is a lifestyle, not a fix. Paul's talking about praying. He's talking about believing God. He's talking about walking with God. He's talking about seeing things, spiritual truths with our understanding in such a way that when we come to the problem, they just walk on the water without even giving it a thought. As far as Jesus is concerned, what's the difference in walking on water or dry land? He made them both. Paul seems to be indicating by the Holy Ghost that that's available to us. Now, I know that's too hard for some people to accept. I get it. And I don't think we can accept it casually. I think it has to be something that becomes a matter of study, a matter of prayer, and a matter of meditation. But make no mistake about it, folks. The Bible says it's available. The Bible says this place in God, this place in Christ Jesus, seated with him in heavenly places... This place available through God's master plan of redemption. Because God wanted it this way. Not because we're trying to make it be so. It's available to us. This is how God sees the operation of the church in the world. We come upon the same situations we see described in scripture. That Jesus, see how Jesus handled them. And what do we do? We yield to them. And I'm sure in heaven the angels are looking at each other shaking their heads. Some are probably saying, I'm glad that's not my guy. A lot of amazement. Why don't they just use what they've got? Well, you can't use what you don't know you have. And that's what Paul's prayer is about, that we'd come to know what we have, that we'd come to know what we have. Folks, Jesus died for a lot more than just you sauntering through life with your bills paid, enough food on the table, Maybe talking to somebody about Jesus here and there. And living a life that has little impact and influence on others. Jesus died for you to change the world. That's what he died for. I think we sell out so short what we've been given. Because we take it for granted. We don't stop to realize what do we have. That, if anything, that's Paul's purpose for this letter. Is to make us stop and realize there's a there's information given by the Holy Ghost that identifies that the church is in charge of God's creation to accomplish his plan and purpose in the earth. One of the prayers that Paul prayed for the church as he was inspired by the Holy Ghost to pray was that God would give unto us the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. There's nothing greater than to know who you are in Christ, what belongs to you because of Jesus' sacrifice, and what God's plan and purpose for your life really is. Thanks for watching today. Come visit us at Foothill Family Church. 
This is Foothill Family Church with Mike Webb. That's the condition that God found us. And notice what it said that God did. But God, who is rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us. Join us Sundays at 9.30 a.m. and 6 p.m. or Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Visit us online at mikeweb.tv. Foothill Family Church, building strong, spirit-filled lives through God's Word.